Thanks very much, Russell. Can I lead you in a brief prayer? Father God, we just pray this morning that as that reading has been brought alive to us by Russell's particular skill, we pray that the words of this page would uh, speak into each of our lives, from me down through the congregation, that each of us would grasp something of significance this morning, uh, particularly about the context of this letter. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we're in a series called Notified, which is a play on words, of course. You've been notified that that's what the series is. But the series is about three letters that are really not much more than notes in the context of uh, the rest of the New Testament, in particular uh, in terms of their size, but importance just as important in many ways. And uh, Philemon, or Philemon, or if you come from the West Indies, Philemon, it's the third shortest book in the Bible. Um, Third John is the shortest, second John is the second shortest. And there's uh, approximately 430 words in most English translations, depending on them, and I understand most of them. There's 25 verses. Of course, in the original Greek, um, there's less verses because there are no verses in the Greek. It's just continuous writing and uh, it's all Greek to me. (laughs) So I'm not going to teach you from the Greek this morning. I'll leave that to somebody, perhaps like Russell would might like to give you a start. This book is my favourite because it's short and there's nothing more feeling of accomplishment than you've read a whole book of the New Testament (laughs) in one sitting, one very easy sitting. 25 verses or so. Um, but it's also my personal favourite because it is very personal, even compared to Titus and Timothy. This is really a personal letter. And it's an interesting journey um, I've been on as I've been preparing for this. You see, because my default way of reading this little Uh, letter which is stuck between Hebrews and uh, Titus in the New Testament, the newer part of the Bible, uh, the the part that was originally written in Greek. And um, my default way of reading this was like I was a fly on the wall in Paul's house where he was being kept as a house uh, prisoner. He was in chains, chained to a Roman soldier Uh, and he had his friends around him to look after him. But as he dictated this to his amanuensis or secretary, who we understand to be Tychicus or Tychicus, you say tomato, I say tomato. (laughs) Um, So I imagine I'm a fly on the wall, and so my perspective as I read this has always been that of what Paul has written, and I've read it that way. But in, have a, in a, a little discussion I had with Ben Fair a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned that there was this New Testament professor of... Um, uh, a New Testament professor, yeah, New Testament professor at the Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, uh, Illinois who had a YouTube clip, who doesn't have a YouTube clip these days, what do we do before Google and YouTube? Um, so I 
looked at Scott McKnight's interpretation of Philemon, and boy, it blew my mind. My whole viewpoint changed. And so that's what I'm going to sort of take the viewpoint this morning, because it, I need to hear it, and, and, and it'll be good for you to come back to bed. I'm going to come back and explain that shift later, or as Steve would say, but before I do, I think some background is in order at this juncture. Firstly, let's look at the main characters in this short letter. First one is Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ Jesus, and he also mentions Timothy, our brother, in that as well. But history is that Paul has upset the uh, a Jewish um, Christian leader, or the Jewish leaders of the Jewish fellowship back in Jerusalem, and they've brought false charges against him in order to deal with him. And uh, during the trial, because of the way they were using these trumped-up charges, he actually appealed to Caesar, because that was what a Roman citizen could do. If he felt he wasn't getting justice wherever he was, he could appeal to Caesar, the highest authority in the land. And anyway, they were they were um, taken off with soldiers. They were shipwrecked uh, and ended up at Malta. Remember, um, somebody there, the local chief, was uh, bitten by a snake and was in dire straits. And nothing to do with the pop group. And um, Paul actually healed him, but he ended up eventually in Rome. And he is in house arrest, awaiting trial before Caesar, which could take yonks and yonks, absolutely which is a, an ancient Greek word meaning long time. All of this background can be read in Acts chapter 22 and onwards. And also the, the letters, Paul's letter to the Colossian church is a parallel letter, and we'll find more about that later. So Paul's the first character in this letter that we come across. Secondly, there's Philemon or Philemon, uh, who is the receiver or addressee of the letter, and it says, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow labourer, to the beloved Appia, his wife, Archippus, we believe to his son, and to the church in your house. So this is Paul's friend back in Colossae, and a house church. And house churches were the go. They never built church buildings till we've got evidence, apparently, from about AD 300 onwards of particular buildings just for church. But prior to that, you met in the house of somebody who had space for that. And so this is the situation where they're meeting in a house church. So the second one, second character we've looked at is Philemon, a well-off Colossian and a house church leader. Then the third one is Onesimus or Onesimus, as I like to call him. Um, he is the subject of the letter. Wouldn't you love to be a subject of a letter? Well, you are, you know. The letter that's written on the heart of Jesus Christ, you're the subject of it. Anyway, I'm, I've diverted. So, so third person is Onesimus. And it says, I, Paul goes on in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Now, this doesn't mean that through some weird um, action of God that... Uh, Paul got pregnant with Onesimus? No, he has begotten him in the sense of leading him to Christ. And so he has adopted him as a son because of that. And he says, Onesimus, 
who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and, and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in the chains of the gospel. So what we understand is that Onesimus, who was a slave in the house of Philemon originally, ran away under some circumstances and ended up in Rome, quite some distance, about a thousand k's as the crow flies. But I don't know whether they were grounded during the pandemic or not. But uh, he ended up in Rome and somehow has connected with Paul and his group there probably because he heard his name and he'd, he'd, been in, um, he'd been there in the house when Paul had been originally through Colossae ministering through there. So um, he's become a follower of Christ. And there's a lovely play on words that Paul uses here because anesimus means useful or profitable in the original Greek. And so what, who, the one who became unprofitable by running away is now profitable again because of his faith in Jesus Christ and his acceptance by Paul. And he's begotten while I've been in chains. This has all happened while Paul is chained to a soldier for 24-7. So the third character is Onesimus or Onesimus, I like to call him. But all of this is set against a background of slavery. Slavery was the cultural norm of the day and uh, Rome is thought to have had anything up to 30 to 40% of their population made up of slaves. And uh, the authorities were constantly in fear of revolt because of the simple numbers of the slaves. And uh, uh, there were a few instances where they got themselves organised and uh, rebelled. And the last one that is recorded is one that's been made into a film, Spartacus. That's the background, is a slave result uh, revolt in uh, Rome um, in this background. So it's important that we do understand that the background is slavery because uh, the urgency of Paul's letter then becomes more prime. Uh, the ma our master had the right over his slave to punish them when they returned or when they were caught, or even up to a sentence of death. And in fact, they used to uh, have hire people to go out looking for the slaves. But however, Onesimus has uh, spent time in Rome with Paul and has not been arrested. And, uh, but Rome forbid the uh, um, harbouring of fugitive slaves. So, so Paul was at uh, risk here as well. Um, now, back to that mind-blowing shift of paradigm that I mentioned uh, earlier on. You see, I was, used to be a fly on the wall in Paul's house before fly spray, so it was all right. And I was listening in to Paul dictating this letter to his amanuensis or secretary. But now I've been suggested that I be a fly on the wall in Philemon's house. So instead of hearing Paul dictate the letter, I'm hearing it being read out to the church by Tychicus, the, the, the um, messenger. And so it takes on a different kind of feel, a different kind of feel. We climb into uh, Philemon and Appian and, and Aristarchus and all, all the other slaves in the house church. We climb into their ears, as it were, as we hear this. So these words 
stand and uh, come out to us in a, a much louder thing. But there's, there's three aspects to what's happening in Philemon's house that I want to draw your attention to. Um, the scene before us has three groups of people. The first group is Philemon, Avia, Archippus, and the household slaves and the house church members. All those that gathered in uh, Philemon's house for church were there when this letter was read out. You see, this was a practice that happened in the New Testament and it was probably because the letter couldn't simply be handed around to be read because literacy wasn't high. And so whoever was the messenger with the letter was charged with reading out the letter to the church. And so picture them. Anesimus is there and Tychicus is standing beside him and he's reading us out and all these other people are absorbing what's being said. And um, Paul says in verse 4, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. This is Paul speaking through the voice of Tychicus. And we understand that Paul would have coached Tychicus as how to read this, where to put the emphasis, and where, who to look at when he was saying certain things. So this letter became personal. Uh, rather than just something read out um, blankly. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may, may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. See, Paul is affirming Philemon's good standing, both in the church, in the house, and in the locality, uh, and his ministry to the people that have come through Colossae. And uh, it's a good, good um, pointer here. If you want something from somebody, it's good to affirm them first, make them feel good about themselves, affirm the things that are in them first. So the first group is those people gathered in his house church. And the second group is this escaped slave standing there beside Tychicus. How would he be feeling? I mean, he's facing, he's facing up to a death threat. That was the law. That was what Philemon could do to him. And uh, Paul has instructed Tychicus to read this out. And the thing was, too, Paul knew to whom he was sending this letter so he could actually speak very personally to them. And so these verses now come to life and meaning. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but look at him now. He's profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chain. Paul would rather have kept Onesimus because he was really helpful to him. Um, but that wasn't how it had to help. There had to be something happened. Onesimus had to go back and to face the music, as it were. And so they've travelled 2,000 k's plus over land and sea to arrive at Colossae, and the letter is being read out. 
So the second group is Onesimus, the return slave, and Tychicus, the letter writer and deliverer. But there's something else, a third element in this room. I'll describe it as the elephant in the room. And I don't mean a giant pachyderm in the corner. The elephant in the room is an expression used to convey that there's something that's not tangible, not got, you can't describe it so much, but it's there, it's evident. It's like sometimes um, you know something's going to happen. It's sort of like the elephant in the room. And this elephant in the room is very interesting. So I invite you to eavesdrop as we continue listening to Paul's letter being read out. Verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, now also a prisoner of Christ. So Paul said, as the apostle over your church, I could actually insist, command you to accept an SMS back. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to appeal to you through love. And then he adds... Um, a bit of a, a tearjerker. I'm Paul, the aged. In other words, remember, I'm very old now. <laughs> Do this for me. And um, Paul led Onesimus to Christ, and now he's tugging uh, at the heartstrings of, of uh, Philemon and says I'm, in verse 12, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel, but without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Paul's saying, I know you better than this, Philemon. You will do this voluntarily uh, because of your hearts in the right places. Right place. Uh, people that, um, slaves that escaped, when they were caught... They were branded with the letters F-U-G in Greek, obviously, which stood for fugitives. In other words, to mark them for life as an escape, an escapee. But Paul is asking Philemon to accept Onesimus back as a brother in Christ, not as a slave. We understand he continued on as a slave because that was his status, but his relationship with Philemon was as a brother in Christ. So the elephant in the room is this matter of reconciliation. There it is. Big word, reconciliation. The bringing together of two. Philemon on Onesimus. No longer is Onesimus down here as a slave to be treated as he felt he wanted to, but as a fellow brother in Christ, he would be treated in a very different way. In fact, in the, Paul's letter to the Colossians, he actually enumerates some rules for slaves and masters in the church. And so they would be, it would be clear to them from that extra letter. Paul continues in verse 15, for he departed, perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. Yes, he's run away, but Paul's saying, let's look at it a different way. Perhaps there was a purpose behind all of this, that he might become a brother, 
and now he's returned to you, living up to his name. Onesimus is now useful again, and uh, he's back with you. So Paul makes his um, appeal to uh, Philemon, in verse, continues in verse 17. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. So uh, Paul has taken a moment to write this I will repay in his own handwriting, uh, which he didn't do very often because... um, he used to dictate his letters. There's lots of theories as to why that was the case, but you can read up on that uh, endlessly on the, the web. Um, but whatever, Paul is saying, hey, see, I'm even uh, writing this in my own hand so that you know that I will repay if it's any. Because it's sus- suspected, and who knows, whether Onesimus stole something from Philemon's house when he ran away, I mean, he might have stolen food or something to, to assist him with his journey. And so Paul is saying, uh, now that this shift in your relationship has changed, I will pay the bill if there is any bill to be paid. And Onesimus doesn't have to pay it. He's now not a runaway slave, but he stands before the household in the church as a partner in the gospel. Still a slave, but the relationship has changed. Not only would Onesimus have looked different after spending time in Rome with Paul, but he's also a new creation in Christ. His heart had changed. He'll live differently, even as a slave. Then as Paul puts this appeal to Philemon, don't forget, while you're thinking about what he might owe you, you owe me yourself. In other words, who you are now, Philemon, is as a result of my ministry. So he's sort of almost saying, so don't quibble about a little bit that Onesimus might owe you, because you owe me your entirety. You've refreshed my heart in the past, he says. How about refreshing my heart again by receiving Onesimus as a beloved brother? Whoa, big shift. Runaway slave, beloved brother. That's a reconciliation and a half. Paul continues speaking, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Quick change of subject. In other words, the reconciliation has been dealt with, hasn't it? Now, get a room ready for me. I'll be here. Paul is confident in Philemon, but he puts this to him in front of the household in the house church. How about that? Where do you think Philemon can go? It's right in front of his house church, and he's being asked to reconcile with his runaway slave. Everybody would have knew, known about Onesimus' fleeing. And so he puts it to him, and I don't see that Philemon had any option, really, but to accept He was almost backed into a corner like that. But the relationship would then be reconciled and uh, uh, 
the, the ultimately. They, there's even theories that suggest that uh, Onesimus, who was a, later on, they think, later on became a bishop. Uh, now, there's no direct link, but there is a bishop in that same time period uh, um, uh, with the same name. And that's, of course, what some of the early church fathers felt had happened. So we, we don't know. We can't be sure. But if that's the case, that's a huge leap, even so. But um, whatever, there were rules that they had now under Christ to how to treat each other, um, master and slave. And so we know that Philemon and Onesimus would have operated within that because of Paul's ministry to them. And then the conclusion of the letter, which is fairly typical of the letters that Paul wrote or dictated, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow labourers. In other words, all the people that are in Rome with Paul, travelling with Paul as uh, support, and um, all in Rome, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. Amen. Paul is confident in Philemon, such that he expects Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus. I don't believe we can really grasp how major that shift is for those two people because we don't operate as slaves or own that sort of thing these days. And Paul is therefore mediating the process of reconciliation. The elephant is revealed and it's huge. He was seeking to reconcile Philemon to Onesimus in front of the church between master and slave to brother in Christ. And uh, in Colossians 1, 19 to 22, which uh, was the letter written to the Colossian church uh, and arrived with um, Tychicus and Onesimus, because it mentions them both in the letter, Paul says this in the opening chapter in verse 19 to 22. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus Christ. Uh, and God fullness to dwell in Jesus and through him, through Jesus to reconcile to himself to God all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God was in Jesus Christ, reconciling himself to the world. That's even more amazing when we understand what happened on the cross. At some point before Jesus died, before the curtain in the temple separating the Holy of Holies from access was torn in two, before Jesus cried out, it is finished, an awesome spiritual transaction took place. The Father set upon the Son all the guilt and wrath our sin deserved, and Jesus bore it in himself perfectly, totally satisfying the justice of God for us. So that we are reconciled to God and we can enter into his presence as a brother or sister of Christ. Can you really grasp that? As you came in this morning, were you given a cup, a little cup, for communion? I encourage you to take that now and to peel the first layer off the top. And if you're watching this online, just hit the pause button 
and uh, so that you can go and obtain a, a small drink and a small biscuit or something and then when you come back and you're ready just press play again and you'll catch up with us there this cup and biscuit that you hold as insignificant as they appear are symbols of reconciliation they symbolize what happened on the cross God reconciled himself through Jesus Christ on the cross reconciled each of us to him so when we take this cup and this biscuit it's a reminder of that momentous occurrence more momentous, momentous even than Philemon and Onesimus' reconciliation and we take it we eat the biscuit which reminds us of the body of Jesus which was broken for us and we drink the cup, which was, uh, is a reminder of the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. And the Bible tells us we can be thankful in our hearts because of that. Let me pray. Father God, as we take this simple piece of wafer and a small cup of grape juice, we remember the momentous occurrence of the cross 2,000 plus years ago. Boy, are we grateful. Amen.